With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Good evening and welcome to the TTM podcast episode three, the big kickoff part one. This podcast is available on all major platforms, including Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and of course, Anchor. We're also available on YouTube and invite you to like, share, and subscribe. Just search TTM Pods. As usual, we are available on all major socials like Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Tonight, I'm joined at the Archangel in Froome in Somerset by James Hounsell. How are you doing, James? Doing good. Good to be back. Excellent. Good to have you back. And how do you feel about defending your title on Fact or Fiction in a minute? Very, very confident at the moment. After I stole a win in the last one, I feel like it's really given me the momentum. I'm going to kick on with another win tonight. Interesting. And uh, our guest this evening is none other than uh, Daniel Harrison. Hi, Dan. How are you? Yeah, not too bad. Thank you very much. And how's your... How's your life at the moment? Excellent. Leader in the Premiership. And then that's a real, real feel-good story. So far out in the wilderness in English football, now brought back from the depth of hell to the English Premier League. And how do you think you'll do this season? I think we'll be fine. Absolutely fine. Okay, interesting. So now we've obviously covered all the bases. We move to a segment called Fact or Fiction. For those of you that don't know, Fact or Fiction is a game where we pit our guests against each other in a game of wit and nail-biting questions. As I mentioned a moment ago, the current champion is James Hounsell, who won last time against David Hancock in a thrilling context. Hashtag Lemonade. I can assure you that if you listen to the last podcast, you will understand what that hashtag means. So guys, Fact or Fiction. Daniel, are you ready? Yes. And James, are you ready to defend your title? I'm always ready. Fantastic. Question one. David Beckham and Cristiano Ronaldo have their legs insured for 100 million. Fact or fiction? Now, I've heard it before that I think Ronaldo or it might have been Beckham or possibly both had their legs insured. I don't know about the fee of 100 million, though. I was going to say, I think 100 million is a bit too much, really. But then when you consider what would Cristiano Ronaldo be worth in the transfer market, 100 million, 
if he was to break his legs and never play again. Well, think merchandising alone. Yeah, that's true. Who would who would um, be paying the money out? Well, it would be an insurance company, uh, not the clubs. The, um, I'm sure the clubs would be involved somewhere down the line, but it would definitely be a, a specific, specialised insurance company that would pay that out. So I'm going to have to push you for an answer now, guys. What are we going with? I'm going to say fiction. I just think the 100 million is too much. Okay, oh. then. And James? Purely because I know that, he, that at least David Beckham, was his legs were insured at one point. I'm going to say it's fact. It's 1-0 to the current champion, James Hounsell. Uh, David Beckham and Cristiano Ronaldo do have both their legs insured for £100 million. That's extraordinary. So the second question. When he was at Santos, West Ham were the first club to make a bid for Neymar. Fact or fiction? I think I've heard this. I think it's true. Okay. I, I think that's possibly true as well, yeah. Okay. No, possibly Any debate? when he was very, very young. You find sometimes that, that um, a lot of these sort of Brazilian wonder kids, they do have sort of strange bids for them. Um, well, you, you, you could argue that one of those bids that came off would be for Carlos Tevez and Javier Mascherano um, when they were both extremely young. And what club did they go to? It, it was West Ham. That was a completely was different Ham. dynamic, though, because you had Kia Jarab. It was uh, the third party, wasn't it? It was a third party ownership, yeah. Highly regarded when he was younger. The fact that West Ham have come in, do you think, guys, is it fact or fiction? I think he would have been on the radar of a lot lot bigger clubs than, than West Ham. But maybe West Ham, you know, struck the first bid, possibly. I think West Ham think that they're a big enough club to do that. Yeah, you know, I they, agree They seem that. like the kind of club to do that. So. You, can, you can see, I mean, would it have been in the, the David Gold, David Sullivan era? I'm not sure on that one, to be fair, my friend. We'll think back. Yeah, I think Karen Brady and those guys were there then, weren't they? They do think they're a bit bigger than they are, West Definitely. Ham. They're, they're, they're noisy neighbours, as far as I'm concerned. So um, I'm going to have to push you. So I'm going to have to push you for an answer. James, what are we going for? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say fiction. Okay, fantastic. Fact. You're going fact, yep. Dan. When he was at Santos, West Ham were the first club really? to bid for Neymar. That equals up the scores at 1-1. Question number three. In 2011, Mario Balotelli once came out in the second half wearing the old Italy kit because he didn't like the new one. Fact or fiction? I can see him doing it. It's the, he's, it's, that's the kind of thing he'd do. This is a guy that was allergic to grass. <laughs> he um, off fireworks in his bathroom. I think there's a story as well, separately on, on Italian national team kit. Shenanigans. I think once Gianluigi Buffon, he, didn't he wear the old home shirt as a goalkeeper shirt during a game when they were wearing their their away kit just purely because he wanted to wear the azuri well, it's a very interesting take on it james i mean you know if you think it's got legs you know in terms of this you know you're the champion and it's 1-1 on the third question now we need to be very very careful about how we're going with this one so i'm going to go daniel what what do you say I think it's true. I think so. It's, you're saying it's fact, yeah. And James, what do you think? If anyone's going to do it, it is Balotelli. But a couple of things which I'm thinking about: why did they just have the old kit knocking around? That's in what the, I thought in too. The changing rooms, and also, why would it have been allowed by the by the match day officials? It's all questions, you know. It's all irrelevance. But but what I will say is the answer is this: in 2011, Mario Balotelli did come out in the second half wearing the old Italy kit because he didn't like the new one. So after three questions have gone through, the current champion 
is on the ropes. He's got the newbie, the guest in the studio, leaning all over him on the ropes with his sweat dripping over his eyes. It's 2-1 to Daniel. Question number four. MK Dons have a 100% win record versus Manchester United. Fact or fiction? I know they battered them, didn't they, in the League Cup. If I remember rightly, Benneke Fobe was was the star of the show that night. I think it might have even been Deli Ali was there at the time as well. You also have to remember side back then as well. You also have to remember. I think Michael Owen did score for Manchester United away at MK Dons, and it might have been in a victory. They are quite a new club as well, though, aren't they? So I can remember them winning four 0 I do remember them giving Manchester United a hiding. That was Van under Van Gaal, wasn't it? I yeah. think so. Yeah. What are we going to go with, James? Unless Owen scored a consolation that night, but mm. Owen wasn't there under Van Gaal. No. So they could have been there before. So yeah. Or did he score against Leeds? Sorry to throw you off, but I've got to do my best to throw you both off on fact or fiction. What are you saying, Dan? I'm going to say fact, because I just don't think they would have played them enough times. Yeah, okay. I agree. I think they've only played them once, and it was that one occasion. So okay. I think it's a fact. Okay, so it is indeed true. MK Dons do indeed have a 100% win record against Manchester United. So the score's on the doors. It's Daniel Harrison on three and James Hounsell on two. Two questions remain. Daniel's a point clear. Question number five. Everton legend Neville Southall had to take a day off of training due to having a sore bum. Fact or fiction? Under what circumstances was it? Was it some sort of medical condition? Was it? A rash. Was what had happened a... was he slipped in the shower at the Cobham training ground. So we're we talking about a damaged coccyx. It might have been a damaged cock as well, heavily bruised from a shot. Then that wouldn't be his bum, would it? No, it wouldn't be his bum, but his buttocks was also extremely sore. <sighs> what do you reckon, Dan? I'm going to let the champion answer this one first. So I'm my thought process at the moment. Okay, he falls over in the shower at the Cobham training ground. Potential damage coccyx. You're going to miss more than one day. You're potentially looking at a couple of weeks there, maybe mm-hmm. missing a game. Mm-hmm. So one day, was it one day of training? Was it one day of a match day? I'm not prepared to indulge. Neville Southall as well. He's an old school kind of guy. He's playing for bad bum. He don't care. Neville Southall, bad bum, no problem. I'm saying fiction. Okay, brilliant, James. And across to Daniel, what do you think about that? I'm just going to go the opposite and uh, say fact. Okay, two points for you. Cobham is the Chelsea training ground, and Neville Southall didn't miss a day's training for a sore bum. So after that unbelievable tense exchange, it is Daniel on three and James Hounsell also on three. We now go down to the final question. Another nail-biter in store. Now, in a previous podcast, I was able to win after an additional clause was inserted at a late <laughs> stage where the, the, final, the final question went to three points. I'm happy to do that, Dan, if you want to take me on for a three-point victory. Absolutely, yeah. So are you happy with that, James? You know, I'm more than happy to go with it. Yep, let's do it. So, final question on fact or fiction. India refused to enter the 1950 World Cup because they were told that they could not play barefoot. Fact or fiction? So they didn't enter the qualifying stages at all or they qualified with bare feet? 
they refused to enter the 1950 World Cup proper because they were told they could not play barefoot. So you're not talking about the qualifying, you're talking about the proper World Cup. Yes. I'm going to have to push you for time, gentlemen. 15 seconds. I think it's so stupid it might be true. I don't know. <laughs> you're telling me they qualified with bare feet. That's what you're saying. 1950. 1950. And In the Asian qualifying. The Asian qualifying. Now you think just a bit how far behind they are in technical ability apart from a couple of standout players. Think how far behind they are on technical ability in compared to the European and South American teams. Imagine if you go back nearly 70 years. How far back would they have been then? I also think you're looking at uh, India at that time, probably British colonised. They're going to have some football boots over there, particularly at a professional level and certainly at international level. I think fiction. Okay, I accept your answer. Daniel Harrison, what do you say? Well, I could go safe and uh, go for the draw button. And there could be a a super question added right at the very end of the podcast if you wanted to go that way or do you want to gamble? I'm I'm a gambling man. I'll gamble. I think it's fact. After six questions on fact or fiction, James Hansel at the moment is on three points, a defending, reigning, undisputed, undefeated champion. Against our guest for the first time, Daniel Harrison, also won three points. I can indeed tell you. India refused to enter the 1950 World Cup because they were told that they could not play barefoot is fiction. Yes. (laughs) There we go. So James Hounsell, two pods in a row, seems to have a bit of a theme developing here. Where at the moment you, my friend, are the champion. How does it feel? Yeah, it's always nice to win. Uh, I only play to win when it comes to fact or fiction, and I welcome challenges uh, from anywhere. I'm looking forward to the rematch. Hopefully there's a clause in the contract for that. I'm sure we, we can, can insert a clause into the match. Okay, brilliant. So, guys, I hope you enjoyed the fact or fiction. Now this segment is complete, we're going to move on to some more current affairs. We're going to be taking a real close look at three clubs this week in Tottenham, Leeds and Liverpool. All three members of the panel this evening support one of those clubs. We're going to have a quick look at what we think these clubs need and how we think they're going to genuinely perform in the Premier League over the course of this season. So first of all, I think there's no better place to start at the moment than Leeds United, uh, an absolute fairy tale story in getting promoted. One of the biggest clubs in the country through prestige. In my opinion, I would like to say congratulations and welcome to the club Thank you, yeah. and welcome back to the top table. Where we what, what are your initial thoughts on that? I, I'm a cynic. I, until it was official, I still didn't believe we were going to do it. But um, what Marcelo Bielsa has done is unreal. What what a guy! I mean, it's a real coup for the club to attract someone of that stature in the game. Not only did obviously in that very first season, you know, you fell quite far short after an unbelievable start. I remember watching the game against Derby County away mm. last season thinking to myself, do you know what, they look really good. They look really strong. Uh, No, it was a full championship game against Frank Lampard's derby at the beginning of Frank Lampard's tenure where Leeds did win. Because they beat them in the playoffs as well, didn't they? Um, Away at Bright Park. Yeah, at the end of the 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 current season, they beat them in the playoffs. That was at Spygate you're on about, aren't you? Yeah, I'm talking about the league game at the beginning of the season. Yeah, with Spygate. Spygate. Yeah, yeah. So, so as far as I'm concerned, to stick around for another season... 
you've got a manager that not only is world-class, but genuinely seems to be committed to the Yorkshire outfit. And as far as I'm concerned, where do you think you're going to be finishing this season? I, I, honestly, I believe it'll be mid-table. I think we'll start strongly. And then, like we do under Marcelo Bielsa, I think we'll uh, tail off towards the end. But I just want to say, I think it's also the ownership, really, for me, that have really stepped up and stabilised the club. Um, I think under Chilino and GFH, we wouldn't have even thought about Bielsa. We were in Dave Hockaday. You know, I, it, the ownership for me is brilliant. Exactly. Uh, so Dave Hockaday, ex-Barnsley manager, did a really good job down at Barnsley. I remember driving home one night from Gloucester, believe it or not, um, from a training exercise where he joined the club under uh, a massive cloud of hatred. So obviously under David Hockaday, yeah, you can imagine that things didn't really go well for Leeds. And and to be honest with you, that's not really the prestige manager you're going to be looking to to get promoted from the championship. Going back to the current situation, your opening matches against Liverpool, the current reigning, defending, English, European, well, ex-European now with Bayern Munich's victory, but world champions, a team on a massive crest and wave of a high playing outstanding football. Leeds have never lost the opening match in a Premier League campaign. Do you think that's a good omen? I, I don't believe in omens. The fact that you said you're playing fantastic football, for me, since lockdown's finished, I don't believe Liverpool have. I, I think they've looked flat. I think they've looked lethargic. As, as much as I want to believe all that, I do also realise that Salah, Mane and Firmino are going to be running at Liam Cooper. And that, that <laughs> frightens me to death. Well, See Ellen Road. Uh, to Anfield, is Anfield um, is but what I will say is this do you not think that and we'll, talk, we'll talk about it more when we do talk about Liverpool do you not think that tail off is down to the fact that the league was already won the league's gone it's won anyone with any self-respect and dignity and any ounce of intelligence about them would clearly know at least five or six games before the end that's done and as soon as that victory at home is confirmed and City don't pick up the points away at Chelsea are they really going to run through that brick wall. I mean, the effort and application was there away at Man City. But as far as I'm concerned, I think the job was already done. And why? You would give your all as a fan. I'll play for free. But if you're a professional footballer, if I was playing for Norwich City Mm. and Norwich had just, you know, won the league with about three or four games to spare, am I not thinking about next season now rather than running at 187 miles per hour? Do you know what? I I don't think I could get up up for it if I'm not from Liverpool. It's getting back up to that speed for me. Mm. You know, I'd prefer my team to stay at 100%. So for the next season, you you know, you don't have to up your game again or anything like that. You need to have a standard for me. Like personally, I think you need to have a a solid standard of football. I agree. I mean, you look at at Bayern Munich, for example. They have the league won by March every year. Do they drop off? Bayern Munich are undefeated since something like November in the Bundesliga. They don't, they don't get to March, have the league wrapped up and then down tools. They continue. They're a machine. Liverpool are in danger, in my opinion, of getting a little bit ahead of themselves. Some of the players in there, they haven't won league titles before. Certainly not won the Premier League before. I think they need to just make sure this isn't as good as it's ever going to get for them. You look at Trent Alexander-Arnold, for example. What is he, 21 years old? Two European Cup finals. Ballon d'Or nominee. England international. PFA Young Player of the Year. The most assists for a defender, two years running. Yeah. Using him as an example, could it be this be as good as it ever gets for him? He needs to be very careful. I think there's a few of them in there as well. You just got to be careful of complacency there. Jurgen Klopp's got a big job on this summer to really motivate them to go again. We saw it at Tottenham. Very difficult. They got to the Champions League final. 
and then where do we go from here? You know, we we've reached the pinnacle now. We've kind of plateaued. I where think do we go this from is here? where it's the same with Liverpool. I think this is where you see just how good Jurgen Klopp is. Yeah, you know, I'm, I'm going to be selfish. I'm going to think about the Leeds. You know, we let's face it, we did Leeds. We bottled it in uh, Bielsa's first season, and then a lot of you know. Even I was wondering, can we repeat what we did the season after? Well, the championship, as we all know, is an extremely difficult league exactly. to master. And again, right from the beginning, we were fantastic. And this time, fortunately, we were able to get it over the line. But I believe that is because Bielsa is such a good, strong coach. Do you feel Jurgen is able to get that level of performance out of the Liverpool players again? Yes, I'm going to tell you why. Jurgen Klopp took Brendan Rodgers' beat-up, rusty wheel falling off with no nuts in it, team, to the Europa League final. There is no better man-manager, man-motivator right now in the world of football than Jurgen Norbert Klopp. I think the guy is an absolute hero, legend. I trust in everything that he does. And you know what? We haven't spent anywhere near the amounts of money that we could have since the Champions League win just over a year ago. You spent a lot of money to get there, though. But we didn't because... The net, net spend, spend of the club okay, yeah. isn't too. About, if you're going to talk about net spend, yeah. So, but, the, but surely that's what it's all about. Money for Coutinho. But surely that's what it's all about. You've got to be thinking to yourself when we say, "Oh yeah, that team spent a lot of money." We're doing it from in our minds and an imagination and a standpoint that you've all got a starting bank account and you've took money out of that bank account to buy these players and there's not much money left. If you, for instance, had sold an asset and got a lot of money in your account and then you brought two good assets to replace it, probably now are worth more than that original asset sold combined, then that's um, good business. Surely that's good business. What he did with selling Coutinho and and reinvesting it into the key areas of the site... Well, it was Alisson and Van Dijk. It was an absolute masterstroke, really. People at the time would say, yeah, you're paying over the odds for a a centre-back. Never played in the Champions League. I think he may have played in the Champions League with Celtic. The rebuilding job he did with, with the back four... Obviously, with the goalkeeper, he reinvested that money really wisely. Which one? He addressed the areas that needed to be addressed. But I think what I will say about Liverpool is I think they just need to be a little bit careful, as I said. They've achieved everything they set out to achieve under Jurgen Klopp. He said he would turn them into title challenges. He said he would turn them into European challenges. And he's done that now. Where do they go from here? I think they just need some fresh impetus from somewhere. What There's guys in that this, team. James, that, that, what, what I will say is this. Suppose that they did get up for next season. What then? If you play next season exactly how you played this season, with a little bit of additional player here and there, I think, you need, I think you're struggling with a little bit of depth in places. I think we saw that in the charity shield. I don't think Minamino's hit the ground running like, like everybody thought he would. Scored in his last game. 7.25 million. Bargain. Oh yeah, no doubt about that. But is he, is he a viable alternative to a Mo Salah or a, or a Mane? Well, the issue that you've got the issue that you've really got is how do you convince an attacking player to sign for Liverpool Football Club right now? You cannot guarantee him regular playing time. When you have a front three, like that front three, how do you tell someone of Timo Werner's quality, you know, you're going to be starting from the bench because you, you're not going in and replace a Firmino. How yeah, do you I tell think... someone of Jaden Sancho's quality you're starting on the bench because Mo Salah is playing. I'm not saying that Jaden Sancho is a bad player and he wouldn't sign for Liverpool because, of course, if the if the figures fit, he would sign for Liverpool. But would you really honestly take Sadio Mane out the team? I'm going to have to disagree with your theory that you haven't spent a lot of money. 
you, you know, the way I look at things is how much did your start in 11 cost? Regardless of whether you've made money on the previous start in 11, your start in 11 costs an awful lot of money. And you, you can't say that you haven't, I'm not going to say brought it, but you've certainly used your financial power to basically That's win what things. the big clubs do, though. Exactly. Do, you really yeah. think, do you really think the financial power comes from a sense of ownership? Because FSG don't have billions and billions of pounds like, like the Etihad group do for Manchester City, like Roman Abramovich does for Chelsea, like the Glaziers do for Manchester United. I believe we're in a position where we need to accumulate to speculate. So we need to bring money in before we spend it. And that's part of being a reasonable football club. We'll touch on the Thiago transfer later. You know, Bayern want 27 million. We're not willing to pay 27 million pounds for a 29-year-old whose contract runs out at the end of next season simply because it doesn't fit our business model. And I'll explain more when we get to the transfer stuff with James later that there is a, a way around that potential deal. So just to summarize about Leeds... My personal opinion is this, massive club, uh, sell out every week. They'll take an absolute army of fans to every every ground around the stadium when they're allowed back into the stadiums. My worry for Leeds is do they defensively have what it takes to, to ship, you know, to stop the goals going in? I think if you can, I think they can get up for games. I think they can score, but I don't think they can defend. But then again, could they score really in the championship? I think the driving force behind Leeds United is the midfield. For me... Um, a lot of Leeds fans are probably going to slate me for this, but I can't stand Patrick Bamford. He needed about four or five big chances to get the one goal. Fortunately for him, we were creating the four or five big chances every game, kind of. No, I think now we've got Rodrigo. He looks a player, and I think it, he, he won't need the four or five chances to get the goal. I think we'll be fine scoring also, goals. I think you're right there with Bamford. I, I don't think Bamford's going to score you the goals to keep you in the league. Mm. Was um, he the... Um... Tammy Abraham of five years ago. I wouldn't even put him in the same bracket as Tammy Abraham. I mean, don't get me wrong, Bamford. He's a very good championship striker and he will get you goals at that level. Has he ever done it at the Premier League? And he's had a lot of opportunities. He had he had half a season with Chelsea. He's had a loan spell at Crystal Palace. He had a loan spell at Burnley. I believe he had a loan spell with Norwich as well in the Premier League. He's not going to score you the goals. Middlesbrough. That's where we got him from, Middlesbrough. Yeah. Yeah, again, yeah, he was in the Premier League with Middlesbrough as well. For me... When we got in Middlesbrough in the championship, and I, I said, then surely if Middlesbrough are willing to let him go, why are we getting excited about it kind of thing? He's um, not Steve Morrison, don't get me wrong, but he's a... Uh, good player, Steve Morrison, scored goals in the Premier League with Norwich. Good grief. One scored at the Emirates. So we spoke about Leeds United. I think they're going to finish safe mid-table. Yeah. I think strengthening in the right areas for what remains of the transfer window and also um, in the January window as well. Marco Bielsa, what you have to understand is that he doesn't only bring his tactical prowess to the to the Premier League now. What he also brings with him is a reputation and connections to agents, to clubs, to directors around the world of football who he knows. And that there, like we see with Wolves and George Mendes that will open doors to bring in quality additions to that club. And I think that um, it's an absolute pleasure to have Leeds United back in the Premier League. Welcome back. Thank you. Next club that we're going to move on to is Tottenham Hotspur. Massive combination of fortunes since the Champions League run uh, with Lucas Moura's fine strike after Deli Alli's through ball at the uh, Amsterdam Arena to an almost unrecognisable defeat at home to Southampton in the FA Cup. Or was it Norwich in the FA Cup? I can't remember. The it was two. Norwich on penalties, yeah. An unthinkable defeat at home to Norwich uh, on penalties. What we want to talk to you, James, is as an avid Tottenham supporter yourself, where do you go now? How are things under Jose Mourinho? 
I think we're looking all right at the moment. Mourinho's, I think he's got the measure of the squad now. He's certainly, in, in, in the short time he's been there, really, he's only had two transfer windows. He's certainly identified some areas that needed addressing. I think he's got the measure of certain players. He's frozen a couple out who he probably doesn't really fancy. Who's he frozen out? I, I don't think you'll see Ndombele there. I think that hasn't really worked out, unfortunately. I think he's got so much potential. I don't think he's Mourinho's type of character. Do you think he's a La Liga player, a slower league? He doesn't look like he runs. He's very good on the ball. He's a good He's a good technician. He runs with the ball well. I just don't think he's got the work rate for a Mourinho side. Then Mourinho goes out and, and you replace him with a Pierre-Emil Hoiberg. Now that's a Mourinho player. Mourinho likes strong runners, hardworking, tactically astute. You know, someone like an Eric Dyer. He loves Eric Dyer. He's also addressed the right-back situation. I know just from watching the um, the Amazon All or Nothing Tottenham documentary yesterday, even on there they touched on the, the unreliability of Serge Aurier, particularly from set pieces. Um, he's always likely to give away a foul or a penalty. You know, he's, he is unreliable in that sense, and, and he's replacing him with, with Matt Doherty from Wolves, and I think that's a really strong, solid Mourinho signing. You know, that that's a guy that fits the mould of a Mourinho side. And I think what, what you'll see now, the strong pre-season behind us, you know, we've been back in there. We haven't had any European football to worry about at these late stages. We've been back in. It's, it's a full pre-season under Mourinho. He's been working them hard. Plenty of friendlies under the belt. And you'll start to see us mould now into a Mourinho-style side. Obviously spearheaded by Harry Kane, who's back now fit. And I think Tottenham not really been spoken about much. You've got, a, there's a lot of talk about Arsenal at the moment. Arteta, they've won the FA Cup, they've won the Community Shield, there's a lot of talk about them. Uh, Manchester United, obviously the Sancho deal, everything else going on around there, the, the transfer situation there. Chelsea have been splashing money. Tottenham are just quietly under the radar now. I think I think we'll be strong next season. I'm not saying we're going to finish definitely top four, but I think you'll see us become more, more of a Mourinho side. And that can only be a good thing. A team that's going to be clearly difficult to beat. You know, touching back on uh, Sir Gourier, someone on Football Manager that I would always sign for in Toulouse, always guaranteed if I was Arsenal, I would be signing him as right back. Big, strong, powerful, pacey, but clearly doesn't fit in with Jose Mourinho's regimented, uh, strict, disciplinarian style of play that's where right. you, you, you just do not concede. What I will say is uh, the signing of Mac Doherty from Wolves was a surprising one. A surprise Wolves let him go. Um, but then again, 15 million. I think Wolves got a good deal. I think Tottenham slightly overpaid. However, given the I don't current... Think, uh, no, I don't think they've overpaid at all. Given the it. current climate? In the, in the current... What, you're talking about the, um, you know, with the current you know, global pandemic... Transfer fees potentially being a little bit low, but you look at this is a week in which Chelsea have signed Ben Chilwell for fifty million pounds. For me, I don't think Tottenham have got enough squad depth. I think the starting eleven's good. You've got one or two players on the subs bench, but I mean, Harry Kane gets injured. There's there's nothing there for me. But that's the other area that that Mourinho is looking to um, looking to address. You know, one one high priority on 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 the agenda for, for Mourinho is to to provide some creditable legitimate backup to Harry Kane and somebody who can challenge him. I know there's been talk about Callum Wilson. I've even seen Troy Deeney mentioned. Not really having Troy Deeney, but Callum Wilson I wouldn't mind. But again, is he going to want to come and sit on the bench? And the money that you're talking about for Bournemouth, all right, their negotiational position is probably a little bit different now now they've been relegated. I've seen Josh King mentioned a lot as well. Decent enough player. He could probably do a job in the possibly the wide areas as well. 
But yeah, I think we've struggled with that for a while with some decent competition for Harry Kane. But and, and with Kane's injury record as well, he generally does probably miss 10 league games a season with an injury. Yeah, but that's, that's the thing though, like Chelsea, Timo, were, like Werner, you know, um, Arsenal, Albemiang, you know, you're talking about Callum Wilson. You know, it, it's not, he's good, but these players that you're, let's say, direct rivals uh, being linked with signing uh, levels above. Absolute levels above. Yeah, but we're talking about a backup striker, you know, potentially an, uh, an understudy to Harry Kane, who, in my opinion, is the best striker in the Premier League. I'll agree if with that. If not Europe. I'll, I'll, well, 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 what I will say, Harry Kane is, in my opinion, with Sergio Aguero, the best striker in the Premier League. I will say that. With Son and Lucas Moura, that front three, in my opinion is a really, really, really good front three. And you had a little sprinkling of magic from Deli Alley, which, which can happen. It can happen, but does it happen often, often enough? Yeah. I think Mourinho is starting to really get the best out of him now. If you look from when Mourinho arrived until until now, Deli Alley's been very consistent, actually. And that's one thing that Mourinho's really looked to address with uh, with regards to Deli Alley is the consistency. Deli Alley's a player. He provides you with some absolute magic moments. Think about the goal he scored at Crystal Palace, just as an example. But does he give you does he give you enough over the course of thirty eight games in the Premier League season and on the real big big games? But I think Mourinho is really looking to get some more consistency out of him, which 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 I agree with. The one thing which which I do fear for at the moment is Harry Winks. Yes, I really like Harry Winks. I think he's a I think he really makes the team tick, and it's no surprise. Um, even after lockdown, the the two games where we struggled. We struggled away at Sheffield United and we struggled away at Bournemouth. Harry Winks actually was left out of the side for those games. And then he brought him back in for the Everton game, which we won. Harry Harry Winks is a bit of an unsung hero on that side. And very much a Pochettino player because he's, you know, he's good on the ball. Gets the ball forward early. Really good in possession. But I, I just hope the signing of Hoiberg doesn't see Winks get pushed aside a little bit because I do really like Winks. And was um, Hoiberg the captain of Southampton? <laughs> Yes, he was. Yeah. So you're getting a proven born leader into that team, which um, um which is great. Um just a just a quick one, just to just to wrap up because obviously we now need to move on to the next segment. Just touch on Liverpool last lastly. Where on earth the Liverpool need to improve? If you're Jurgen Klopp, where would you be looking in the transfer market to bring someone in? He's addressed a left back issue and there wasn't any real competition for Robertson. It was what was it? Lamucci? Is that the guy? Uh, Larucci, yeah, Larucci, good player. But so we've brought in Shimikas from um, Olympiakos. Yeah, um, absolutely dominated Pepe at the Emirates last season. He is one for the future. A really, really good backup player. What age is he? Yeah, Shimikas's age is uh, literally early twenties, and uh, a really good backup option. I think you look at the Community Shield. No Henderson. Okay, Milner was in there. I like Milner. Don't get me wrong. Is he now an acceptable backup in that area? I like him filling in at fullback. I like him off the bench. I like him as a steady campaigner. I think you need some real competition now in that midfield area. Uh, Naby Keita's never really done it for you. I would agree with what you're saying to a certain point. However, what I will also say, it was only January, February since he's had a good run in the first team without any injuries. And, and since he's done that, his stats actually back up as Liverpool's best midfield player. 
Secondly, um, he adds a completely different dimension. And I, and I think the club believe in Naby Keita. You're right in what you're saying. The first season was just a write-off. He, he got six games in a row, then it'd be out for six games, and it'd be in for three, then out for six. And he just couldn't get a rhythm. Since, obviously, the turn of the year, 2020, at the beginning of the year, Naby Keita has not only had a prolonged spell in, in the Liverpool team, he's looked class. And I, I have to reiterate and stress that this is the season for Naby Keita and no doubt you know it's now backed up on uh, an audience to millions that that I've stated that but what I will say is I will come back to this last season and I will say I told you so but what I, I will also say lastly on the Liverpool situation is just hand over to Daniel um what do you think Liverpool will will do will they do anything in the market and um where would you improve the club don't really think you're going to do anything in the market. I think Jurgen's happy with what he's got. I personally wouldn't be happy with the centre-back partnership with Van Dijk. I think it's Joe Gomez you're playing at the moment. I think he's brilliant. Well, yeah, he's, he's a good player, but he's not proven Liverpool yet, conceded the least amount of Premier League goals in the last two seasons. Where's yeah, your backup it, there? Your contract, didn't he? Yeah, and I'll tell Which you, I'll tell you who else is the other backup, shall I? A player that you two would have never heard of. A player which came from France last year. Billy Kumatio. You will not have heard that name. You may think to yourself, who the hell's that? YouTube him. Played in both Liverpool's preseason friendlies, the supporters' forums, the Liverpool Echo media outlet, the club, uh, really value this kid in high regard. I watched him. Picture on Twitter that surfaced where he joined in with the first team for a game. They had a picture after the match. He towers over Van Dyke, not just in height, but in width. He's like a Michael Richards, but more athletic and on steroids and can really ping a pass. I really urge people that are listening to take a look at Billy Kumatio. This kid is exceptional. It's How all well and good. You've got somebody 17 who, years old. All right, a 17-year-old who's towering over Virgil van Dijk and everything. Mm. But what's that mean when you're running against Aguero in the Premiership or if you're running against Neymar and Mbappe in the Champions League, you're going to have a 17-year-old as your hope? But it's, it's not, not the these way, because what you have to remember is not only do they have to get through Van Dijk, they have to get through Joe Gomez, then they have to get through Holmatip, then they have to get through Camatillo. You you may be right in that we may need one more experienced defender at That's the exactly club. What it is experience. But I would actually be very, very happy with Camatillo because you need experience. Jurgen's not afraid to give experience out. Young Nico Williams last season, Curtis Jones last season, Harvey Elliott, another one. Next There's season. also the, um, the, the, is it Kajan Hoover? Kajan Hoover, another centre-back. He, he's impressed Seth me. Vandenberg, another centre-back. Yeah, but would you not think that they need to have, say, like a, a Ben White-esque season in the championship or something like that? For me, you're trying to put these people on a pedestal in the best league in the world, and I just, I just don't see it. Well, I, I saw I it with Trent. I agree with you there, Dan. I think Liverpool needs a centre-round. Well, I saw it with Trent Alexander-Arnold. I've seen it with Curtis Jones. I'm seeing it with Harvey Elliott. But again, Curtis Jones, would you be happy? So, okay, let's say Wijnaldum breaks his ankle first month of the season. Would you be happy with Curtis Jones playing an extended period in the side, 10, 15 games? Well, don't answer as a Liverpool fan, answer as a, a football fan. Games. Well, I'll give you an answer because first and most foremost, if there's one area where Liverpool are highly stacked, it's in midfield. And there's no doubt about that whatsoever. We are highly stacked in midfield. What I will also say to you on that is, is we've got rid of Adam, Adam Lallana, um, well over £125,000 a week, and replaced him with Curtis Jones. Did you know Curtis Jones played more games than Adam Lallana last season? So if Jorginho went out and breaks his ankle last season, Adam Lallana comes in. 
Yeah, but you've got Curtis Jones as a backup. Well, what, again, what, what more's he got to do? He's made one senior start in the FA Cup against Everton and scored a 35-yard curler into the top corner. Well, anybody can do that in one game. You need to be able to well, Wayne Rooney did it. And what happened prove to him? it week after week after week at a high level. We've seen many of players have... What's that? Uh, Frederico Makeda for Manchester United. He scored an absolute worldie against Aston Villa. He was useless after that. You can't just say because he's played a couple of substitute appearances that he's on the level of Naby Keita or even Jordan Henderson. I'm not Henderson. saying that. I'm not saying that. All I'm saying is, is in the question that was asked to me, if Jorginho Wijnaldum had broken his ankle and he had a, a prolonged period of time outside of the Liverpool eleven, would I be comfortable with Curtis Jones playing a more active role in the team? Let's not forget Shakiri into the mix as well. Would I be happy with Curtis Jones in there? Yeah, I would. Do you know why? Because I have faith in my team. Yeah, but all right, let's, let's change the question then. Would you have Curtis Jones over, say, an established Premier League midfielder, say, I, Danny Drinkwater or something like that? You don't want Danny Drinkwater anyway. I agree with that. Your club, no, no matter what club you are. Yeah, I, I agree. I see what you're saying. I see what you're saying. Yeah. Is, um, is Curtis Jones someone who can play at the elite level right now to cover for the World and Premier League champions in the event of an injury crisis? You will have to turn around and say, is he of the level of Naby Keita? No, he's not. Would I be happy for him on a short-term basis? Absolutely. And um, we'll move on from that one because we could probably debate that one all night. You're talking to a Liverpool fan, remember? You know, you can all say what you like. Now's our time. You know, I've put up with people's shit for 30 years. Yeah, you take mine for one. That's all I'm going to say. We're now going to look at the odds for the league and pick our own top four teams. First of all, I'll open up the floor to James Hounsell. Do you want to take the viewers and the listeners and myself through the odds for the Premier League for this coming season? Yeah, so no real surprises with the odds this season, although possibly a little bit of a slight, slight surprise. So for the title, you, you know, usual big hitters are there. But, but what surprises me is that Man City are actually odds-on favourites to win the Premier League this season. With Liverpool in at 2-1, to one, Man City at 8-11s. A bit further out, then you've got Chelsea at 11s and uh, Man United at 12s. Going a bit further out, Arsenal 40s. Tottenham 66 and Leeds can be found down at 150-1. to one. Worth a quid, Dan? No. <laughs> yeah, I mean, a little bit of a surprise there for me that, that Liverpool are not favourites. What do you think of that, James? Astounded. Many people may ridicule me for saying that. The reality is we're the champions of the world. And to not make the champions of the world favourites for their own domestic season, in my humble opinion, is hogwash. What I could say is Liverpool lots on favourites with Manchester City. You cannot write that club off. You can't. You can't. It goes back to what we were speaking about earlier on mm. with me and James like saying, you know, Liverpool seem to have just tailed off, run out of steam, lost interest, as you were trying to say. That's what everybody else, apart from Liverpool fans, are seeing. I think the odds are. I think the odds reflect that. But what I will say about Liverpool is write them off at your peril. Hallelujah. So- when you go into the top four then, so top four, obviously I haven't even bothered with City and Liverpool because they're obviously going to finish in the top four. I don't think there's any denying that. Then uh, Chelsea odds on at 8-15. to 15. Interestingly then, Arsenal 5-2s, to twos, Spurs 3-1. to one. And then there's a big old gap then. You've got Wolves at 13-2, to two, Leicester. Interestingly, Leicester 15-2. to two. Obviously no real confidence in them going into the new season under Brendan Rodgers, uh, Everton 16s and Leeds, 25 to 1, damn worth a quid. Definitely worth a bow on that one. I wouldn't waste your money. Top four, interesting one really, because my personal prediction, I, I'm going to say it goes Man City are going to win the league, Liverpool are going to finish second, Manchester United are going to finish third, 
I'm going to confidently say that. And then I think Chelsea, too much going on there. Very difficult to get all those new players to jail. So I'm going to have them comfortably in fourth, as much as it pains me with Spurs in fifth and Arsenal in sixth. Top four is an interesting one, really, because it, it almost seems nailed on for the top four. Right. Arrange them as you will. But does it ever work out like that? You know, could we see someone gate crash that? Yeah, you could. You could, you could genuinely. What happened when Leicester City won the league? What happened with Wolves last season, unfortunately, tailing off? For all we know, their fans could have been the driving force behind that form. I predicted quite early on as well. Um, I predicted probably in about January, February time, I said Leicester will not finish in the top four. They were right up there. I just saw a paper-thin back line, and all it took was Ricardo was injured, suspension to Soyuncu towards the end as well, and I, and I think they just didn't have adequate replacements for those guys. I knew Leicester were in trouble on Boxing Day. Not a lot of people, you know, considering we're all saying Liverpool are going to struggle to get up for the season, which I think is hogwash. I think um, the massive December programme that we had when we had two games in 24 hours, which no one ever seems to talk about, fly halfway around the world to face teams from other countries, um, the champions of their equivalent to the Champions League. We come back again less than two days later, 48 hours after winning the FIFA World Club Championship, we're playing away at Leicester City. Now, at the time, at the time, Leicester City was second in the Premier League and they were riding high and they were playing well. Not only did we turn up there and win, we won 4-0. We battered them off the park. Yeah, there, there was a real feeling that day that, that if anyone was going to sort of do, any, do one over Liverpool, that was really going to be the time. Yes. And for me, that was the moment where I thought, yeah, this, this Liverpool side, that, that's... that's that's a, that's a champion. Those are champions. They're champions. They really turned up that night. I agree. Trent Alexander-Arnold scored a great goal that night as well. Uh, Dan, so your top four. Pretty much the same as James is, but I've got them in different orders. I think Man City will win the league. I think they're just, they're just a good, solid unit. They just play brilliant football. I think once they realised they couldn't win the title last season, they tried to concentrate everything on the Champions League. Obviously, that didn't come to fruition. Man City for um, my top. Um, I've actually gone for Chelsea second. I just think they've got the, the depth that I believe a team needs to do well in the Premier League. Then Liverpool third. I think they're, you know, they're still a cracking team and I think they will be there, thereabouts. I think it's going to be a lot closer than what it was last season. And I, I, it's, it's, for me, it kills me to say it, it's either Manchester United or... Arsenal, maybe. Oh, no, 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 there's no or. It's uh, it, it's straight in. We'll talk about fifth and sixth in a moment, but we have to make a solid prediction of what we're going to go with today. Well, if, if Manchester United get the players that they're linked with, then definitely Manchester United. Well, they've signed Van der Beek for 40 million. I'm going to say Manchester United fourth, then, and that absolutely kills me to say that. Very, very interesting thoughts on that. For those who really care or probably don't care I'll give you my top four I think Liverpool regain and and regain the trophy I think that uh, right Jurgen Klopp's man management skills off at your peril I think we win the league I think it's tighter this season but I think we win it I think Jurgen Klopp has really instilled a winning mentality at the football club and I think it's our time I think it's our time for the next two or three seasons I think this is Liverpool's time and as we know football goes in patterns you had the Chelsea era under Mourinho Ferguson making his comeback you then had the Manchester City era kicking off with the oil money with Chelsea chipping in thereabouts you then had Liverpool and I think this is our time. I think uh, second will be Manchester City. I think dependent on the potential signing of Lionel Messi, 
which I don't think will make any real difference, actually, if I'm honest with you. I think he'll do well in odd games here and there, but at 33 years old, will he last the pace in the Premier League? I, I don't think so. I think he'll do well in certain games at the Etihad, at home to Burnley, at home to Sheffield United, at home to Wolves. Is he going to do it? Is Lionel Messi going to do it? Okay, check this one out. Is Lionel Messi going to go away at the Hawthorns and score three goals? That, I think we're going to touch on Messi. Yeah, we'll touch on Messi. So the next team for me, yeah, the next team for me, I believe, um, will be Manchester United. Nothing more painful in this world than seeing them get closer. The reality is they've made some fantastic signings. None better than Bruno Fernandes, in my opinion. The issue with Manchester United isn't their attack. It isn't really their midfield. It's the defence. I think it's weak. I think the defence is weak. And I, and I think I think Juan Bissaka started well last season and fell away. Luke Shaw is up and down like a yo-yo. I think Harry Maguire is genuinely a really fantastic defender. But who's next to him? Victor I'm still not convinced by Lindelof. Exactly. And David De Gea. When you look at this guy through the history of football, you'd say world-class goalkeeper. But just look at him away at Tottenham. Was he any good? I don't think so. Was he any good for his home mistakes at Old Trafford last season? Again, I don't think so. I don't think that David De Gea is the keeper that he once was. So on that, I don't think there'll be title challengers. However, I believe they will finish in the top three. And to round off my top four, I'm going for Chelsea. The signing of Hakim Ziyech, the Timo Werner signing, the Ben Chilwell deal. The deal for Thiago Silva to add a bit of experience and steel at the back of the defence will add a lot. So I think Chelsea are the dark horses in the Premier League this season based on the cash that they've spent. That there, guys, is the top four. We're now going to swiftly move on to the odds for relegation. Back over to you, James. So relegation-wise, odds on to go down is Fulham at 10 to 11, wise West Brom. Then you've got Villa 7 to 4, Palace 2 to 1, along with Newcastle at 2 to 1, Burnley 11 to 4, Brighton 10 to 3, Leeds 4 to 1 to go down, down worth a quid. No, definitely not. We'll be comfortable. And then Sheffield United also a four to one. How do you feel about being level in the odds with Sheffield United to go down? I think it's a compliment. I think they play fantastic football. They're a proper, for me, old-fashioned English team. Do you know what? I really agree with that. I think the signings that the that the managers made there, most notably from Championship, he, what he's done at that football club for the the way they play. Do you really say? You, you know, hypothetically, if I'm to say to either one of you, you've got Sheffield United away next week. Would you feel 100% cast iron guaranteed you're going to come out of there with three points like you would have five years ago? No, not at all. I think Sheffield United have shot the load too early. I think, I think they've been found out now. Have they really... They had a good start. They had a good, good sort of Christmas period and that sort of thing. I think they started to get a little bit found out. Squad got stretched. I think they lack quality and depth. I think they haven't added anything this summer, apart from obviously the goalkeeping situation, but that was a necessity because Dean Henderson are gone. That haven't improved that area by getting Ramsdale. I, I think I think Sheffield United are going to be... I think they'll be in the mix, personally. I think um, the bit that gets me with the signing of Ramsdale, of course, an ex-Sheffield United player. Yeah. 15 million. Why didn't they sign Joe Hart? Play Joe Hart week in, week out. You will have a proven international, I wouldn't say world-class anymore, but I would say top-level elite goalkeeper. Yeah, I like Joe Hart. I think, again, it's shrewd Mourinho. It's another Mourinho signing, getting Joe Hart. He could have probably 
anyone from probably 10th down. I mean, I wouldn't I wouldn't swap to Bravka for him if I was Newcastle. But I think most of the teams in the bottom half of the league could have done with a Joe Hart. But Mourinho's added in there. He's a born, he's a born winner. He's got that experience. He, he's a Mourinho-type signing. Imagine having you know a World Cup winner in Hugo Lloris backed up by a Premier League winner in Joe Hart. I think that's a safe... safe it's good, safe depth. I mean, but then again, looking at Hugo Lloris's injury record over the past couple of seasons, it's probably a necessity. Broke yeah. his arm at Wembley, didn't he? And his forum as well. Um, I think yeah, Joe Hart, the, the signing of Joe Hart's really clever. I think it's really coy. I think it's a really good deal for the football club. Um, I mean, how much was he? It was, it was nothing. It was a free transfer. Well, look, I, you know, I, I, you, you're going to pay the wages for him, aren't you? Um, so we're going to kick off, uh, go a different way around this time. We're going to go with Daniel for your uh, relegation candidates for the forthcoming season. To start off with, I've got Aston Villa. I think they scraped through at the end of last season. I just They didn't even look good for me at any stage. And I think it's going to be more of the same. Villa are going down. Um, they use centre forward, don't they? Yeah, definitely. I think the manager, Dean Smith, um, probably kept them up with Jack Grealish, if I'm watching Tyrone Mings. They're the three characters at the football club. I mean, John Terry, well, everybody knows what he's like. Yep. But but as far as I'm concerned, um, I, I think Tyrone Mings, the player, the Englishman, Jack Grealish, uh, world-class, potentially world-class you know, player. If and he Dean would Smith. get up off the floor, maybe he would be world-class for me. But he, he's on the floor too much, Jack Grealish. He falls over like a fairy. It's, he's frustrating to watch. People say he gets fouled a lot, but a lot of them are embarrassing. Irrelevant. Why? It's irrelevant. They say Ronaldo's on the floor too much. They turn around and say that Salah's on the floor too much. They turn around and say that any player, Perez, through history, you'll always get players that go down easily. What I will say is that player has almost single-handedly kept that club up. But will he stay? Just, and just that's, the, that's the billion-dollar question, James. You've hit the nail on the head there. If Jack Grealish leaves Aston Villa, they're in real trouble. They're in a massive world of trouble. But there's no indication that Manchester United are going to come in and pay the money. The only club I think will be remotely interested in him will be Tottenham. And that I don't think that they have the capital to, to buy him. Daniel Levy ain't going to the table with, with Aston Villa. 80 million, is it? He, he ain't. No, not happening. No, I, I agree. That's why I'm saying he stays at I'd Villa. like him. I'd like to add him to the squad. But would I be happy for them to spend eighty million on Jack Grealish? No chance. Go and invest it somewhere else. Okay, great. So uh, you're going with Aston Villa Aston to finish Villa. bottom, yep. or uh, bottom? Yeah, and I've got Brighton to finish just above them. Like, like, they've got nothing special for me. They're just average, in in my opinion. And then I'm going to go a bit controversial. I'm going to put Crystal Palace in the final relegation spot. I think they're too inconsistent, and when they do go on a a bad run, they stay on it for a while. I've got Palace as well, Dan. Back into the season, they lost. Didn't they lose seven games in a row? They only picked up a point on the last day of the season against Tottenham. That's correct. Yeah, Palace for me, Dan. I agree. Okay, thank you very much for that, Daniel. That's wonderful. Um, I'll go with mine. Go last. I'll go in the middle this time. Um, I think uh, finishing bottom of the pile of West Brom. I really don't think there's anything special about them. I think when they were in the Premier League last time, they had a wonderful brand of football. They played really neat, tidy football away at West Brom. Had a really good setup, but Slavin Bilic has never recovered the heights of the Croatia tenure that he had when he upset England on that night at Wembley, which still haunts me in my dreams with the Wally with a brolly sat there on the touchline. Slavin Bilic's Croatia were excellent, but ask yourself the question wherever he's been since, has he ever repeated the success of where he was at Croatia? 
I think getting West Brom promoted from the championships a, a pretty big success. They, they nearly bottled that though, didn't they? I agree. They tried their they best didn't. to throw that away. Yeah, but they didn't, did they? They did it. Well, they did do it. Yeah, you're right. They did do it, but someone had to. And, and I think as far as I'm concerned, they've got one of the biggest budgets in the championship. They have one of the best playing rosters in the championship also. What I will say is I think they're going to be dead bottom. And, and, and I just think they just do not have any players. Aston Villa have got Jack Grealish, okay? You could turn around and say that other clubs have got players, but who have West Brom got? They've got the lad, the, the lad Pereira. They've signed him on the permanent now from uh, Benfica. Is he as good as Jack Grealish? He's not as good as Jack Grealish, but he's more of... Everything's about Jack Grealish at Aston Villa. You need, you need a team, you need a squad. He, he certainly fits into the... In, into a Premier League side, no problem. I think he's a good player. Okay, yeah, well, I value that opinion. I, I'm steadfast in my approach to quite simply saying that West Brom will finish bottom. Above them, I've got Fulham. A lot of good things happening at Fulham. A plucky club. Everybody's, you know, second club. You know, really, everybody, you, you want to see Fulham do well. Uh, you know, as a Liverpool fan, I like watching Southampton. And I also like seeing Fulham. As far as I'm concerned, um, new stand being built at the moment, under construction, less fans in the ground. Some people may look at me and say, well, that's just a ridiculous sentiment. But you look at Liverpool's success at Anfield, unbeaten in two years. When you look at Fulham and these smaller clubs, like your Sheffield United that tailed off, as, as James rightly mentioned earlier, do fans play a part in the ground to make it a very difficult place to go? And I think with, um, you know, literally, what, 35% less fans in Craven Cottage, which isn't the biggest ground anyway, if they go on to a bad run of form, I think they're going to find it extremely difficult to recover it. What I will also say is rounding off my bottom three is Brighton. Some good players there. Um, when they sacked Chris Hewton, I was quite surprised. I don't think he's ever been given a fair run wherever he's gone. I, I, I like the guy and I think he's a very good manager. What I will say is Graham Potter came in, um, rave reviews from his time in Scandinavia. They've showed, I wouldn't even say flashes. They've shown bits of light. I, I don't think that Graham Potter, is, I'm being perfectly honest, has really shown anything. I don't think he's really set the Premier League alight like Eddie Howe did. He hasn't set the Premier League alight like the Sheffield United manager has. He hasn't set the Premier League alight like Dean Smith keeping Villa up did because that's a massive achievement because that team was poor as far as I'm concerned I think Brighton round off my bottom three and James will we'll, uh, finish off with your bottom three to see what you think so I've got West Brom bottom as well yeah three of you um no disrespect to West Brom I think that I, th I don't think they'll be cut adrift in the way that Norwich were this season but yeah West, West Brom for me are going to finish bottom like yourself Dan I've got Palace aging squad where are the goals going to come from? They sell Wilfred Zaha, there's a problem. Ben Teke, is he going to score the goals? Andre I Jordan Ayew, sorry. Very hot and cold. He might score five in six, and then he might go 12 without a goal. You know, and the backup to that is Connor Wickham. So Palace for me, and I really like Roy Hodgson, don't get me wrong, and he, and he won't go down without a fight. But I just think they maybe they'll get to Christmas. I think they're going to be one of the, You've got to look at the teams who are going to potentially have managerial changes throughout the season. And that's where the relegation the, the relegation really comes into its own. So I think you might see Roy Hodgson not make make the end of the season at Palace, unfortunately. So for me, it's Palace. Just just alone for the fact they they pay Max Meyer two hundred thousand pound per week. I mean, what's he ever done for him? What what a missed opportunity that was. Did you know that Max Meyer, before he signed for Crystal Palace, um, was one of the most highly regarded young players in European football? 
Um, yeah, yeah, he was. Is he worth two hundred thousand pounds a week? No, I'm not worth two grand a week, and even I know that Max Meyer is not worth two hundred thousand pounds a week. No, he's not, unfortunately. But but I mean, it was that was a fifty-fifty signing, in my opinion. It could have been an absolute masterstroke from from the club. And to really put just put something out there for you guys in third from bottom, I'm going to go with Wolves. Oh, wow, wow, wow. Okay, That's hear me a out. Call. Hear me out on this one. Nuno Espirito Santos in the last year of his contract. Matt Doherty's already been sold. The club are suffering from fatigue. They're not really going to have much of a break between the seasons. That is a thin squad already. You take a key component of that starting eleven out in Matt Doherty, completely changes the dynamic of the side. Raul Jimenez heavily reliant on him. Will he stay? Will he go? There's a lot of clubs that would like him. You take him out of there, who's the backup striker? Jota. Jota's injured. The Portuguese lad who scored at Anfield that had the goal rule. Pedro Neto? Yes. Good player. Not a centre forward. I think Wolves, I think there's going to be a lot of to and fro in now. I think Nuno's going to want some investment which potentially won't come. The relationship with George Mendes may sour. Mourinho's back in the game now. Where's his attention going to lie? I think you're going to find Nuno Espirito Santos going to be long drawn out divorce. You'll find him again, like Hodgson. He won't finish the season at Wolves. He leaves the club cast into into chaos. I'm just going to come in there. Wolves last season drew the most games in the Premier League, I believe. They had one of the lowest loss percentages in the Premier League. Okay. Um, what I will say, there's a lot of hypotheticals there. If that cocktail of doom, as you put it, comes together, then I can quite clearly see that happening to Wolves, absolutely. But are you really going to say that Wolves have a thinner squad than Crystal Palace? I don't think so. Are you really going to say that Wolves are going to have a thinner squad than Sheffield United? I don't think so. What I will say is that I do value your opinion in the world of football, which you know, but I think I, I just can't see it. I, I just I can't, I can't see it. And you know, on TTM, we're always brutally honest with each other. And I respect your opinion. That's why you're a main host. But what I will say is this. I don't think Wolves are going down this season. You're not buying it, Dan? I'm not buying it at all. No. And like you said then about, what was the play? You said Neto. Yeah. Yeah, about Neto not being a, a striker or a centre-forward. You said exactly the same about Deli Ali being a centre-forward for Tottenham. Yeah, so okay. yeah. You see what I'm saying? It, yeah, yeah. For me, they're just they're far too strong. They play too good of football to be down in the bottom. I stand corrected. I stand corrected. That was just my little theory. <laughs> Just to throw it out there as a, 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 some thought-provoking. Yeah. I think um, if Wolves go down this season, you will be proved to be not only an absolute legend <laughs> of predictions, I will quite happily say I will put £50 on any team that you tell me are going to do anything on a bet again. Because if you pull that off, I will bow to your feet live on YouTube. I'll do it. What Naked. Space? We'll, 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 see what, we'll see what that one. So we've now obviously discussed a, a wide range of things at the moment. We're going to just finish off with some uh, transfer rumours. From the transfer rumour mill, please welcome James Hounsell. Yes, so not only rumours, I've also got a list of completed transfers here for the upcoming season. I just want, I just want you guys' opinion. Quite simply, hit or miss. So we'll start off with Timo Werner, Leipzig to Chelsea. 34 goals last season. Timo Werner, hit or miss? Big hit. Hit. 
I agree. I think he's going to be a massive hit. I yeah, think he's, uh, he's everything Tammy Abraham wishes he was. <laughs> Thiago Silva, PSG free transfer to Chelsea. What we saying? Hit. Hit. I disagree. I think he's one injury away from being a peripheral figure. If it goes to plan, Frank Lampard is a genius. It's a masterstroke. He's got him in. He shored up that shaky back line. But I think... Unless he hits the ground running, keeps himself fit, I think he could be one injury away and, 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 and it's a, a big hole in their wage budget for not a lot of return. So I'm on the fence on that one. Next one, Eberichi Eze, QPR to Crystal Palace. Miss. Um, he's a hit. It, I've, obviously, I've watched him in the championship. Yeah. He's, he's, a, he's a real talent, really is. I've never heard of him, as far as I'm concerned, um, so I can't give a valid opinion. I'm with you, Dan. I've, I've seen him play a number of times for QPR. Particularly remember the goal he scored at the Bet365 against Stoke. It was the first time I really became aware of him. But really, really good player. Nice little player. A lot of people will compare him to Zaha and think maybe he's going to be a replacement for him. I disagree. I think he can play in the same team as Zaha. I think he gives Palace a little bit more of a dimension. Although I still think they're going down. Next one. Uh, one particularly for you, Dan. Rodrigo, Valencia to Leeds. £30 million. 30 years old. I think the price is steep, but I still think under the way Bielsa plays, I think he's going to be a, a hit. I think he has to be a hit. I think I think he has to be, or else you're in trouble. Hmm. I would like to say that um, Rodrigo will probably start very well and endear himself to the Leeds fans at Ellen Road. Well, if they're allowed in the ground, that is, and he'll tail off. So for that reason alone, I think he's going to be a miss at thirty million. Uh, you expect at least 12, 15 goals. I think he's going to be a miss. More. Thirty million pounds for me. Thirty years old, coming from Valencia and ever declining Valencia. Okay, he's a Spanish international. Who's his competition in that in that um, striking area for Spain at the moment? A transitional Spain. Paco Altas here. Yeah, good player. Alvaro Morata. Yeah. Iago Aspas. Yeah. Okay. So there he is in and amongst those, and he's not getting a game ahead of any of those, is he? No. Um, so for me, miss. Yeah, Emil Hoiberg, Southampton to Tottenham Hotspur. What I will say was a fantastic piece of business by the ever-shrewd Daniel Levy. £20 million, although Kyle Walker-Peters going the other way in a £12 million deal. So effectively, eight million. Pierre Emil Hoiberg, boys. Hold on a minute. Light bulb moment. Net spend. Rewind back thirty-seven minutes ago when you quite clearly stated that net spend is it relevant? It is now. <laughs> Everything's relevant when it comes to Tottenham and Daniel Levy. I think he'll be a hit, mate. I think he'll. Uh, I think for twenty million pounds, you're getting a captain of a football club in the top in the top league in world football. I think that's a really good bit of business. I think it'll be a hit. Good, solid, solid player. You can't go wrong. You can't go wrong. And I'm personally very happy with the signing of Pierre Emil Hoiberg. I think he's a Mourinho player. Another piece in the Mourinho jigsaw. Uh, William, Chelsea, free transfer to Arsenal. Miss. I think um, I think his best days are behind him. I think he's... Um, I, I just don't think he's worth the money anymore. I think he's a squad player. I'll be playing Pepe ahead of him. I think you're absolutely crazy. Well, you the can performances at the back end of last season were were brilliant i thought i think he's going to be a big hit really do what says a lot to me is that although they knew his contract was up and they knew he wasn't going to be renewed he was still in the starting lineup right the way through to the end of the season and that said a lot to me frank lampard's no mug at the end of the day he's not scared to tell somebody you're not in my plans pedro was uh, was phased out 
similar situation contractually. William, William's a good player. I, I'm sad to say as a Tottenham fan, but I think William's going to be a hit. Not for the three-year deal that he's on, but I think he's worth a gamble. Yeah, in terms of the financial aspects of the deal, three years for William's quite steep. Look, don't get me wrong, he is a great player. There's no two ways about it. I wouldn't say that I'm crazy in believing that it could be a miss. I think that Hoiberg at Tottenham's a more assured hit. Are you going to say that William is as an assured hit as Hoiberg? I don't think so. That's just my personal opinion. He's consistently performed in the Premier League for X amount of seasons now. I I just don't see that tailing off at all. We'll see. We'll yeah. see. We'll see. I, I I personally think he could be a bit of a hit. Regrettably. One, One for you, James. Here, Adam Lallana, Liverpool to Brighton, free transfer. Thirty-one years old. Yeah, I injury think, prone. Um, I think he. I think he'll be a miss. I just don't think he can stay injury-free anymore. And, and that's such a shame because if Adam Lallana was to stay fit, I think I think he could still do a job for Liverpool. Um, I really rate Adam Lallana. Um, a really good person in the dressing room by all accounts as well with murmurs coming out of the Liverpool camp. What I will say is that the move to Brighton is closer to his home down on the south coast there. Yeah. As you know, he spent a lot of time at Southampton as captain, time at Bournemouth, and down on that Sandbanks area where where his extended family still reside. So as far as I'm concerned, regrettably to say, I think it's potentially a miss, and we don't know how much he's on a week either. Dan? I think it's going to be a miss. I think he's another Jack Wilshire. You know, plenty of potential. He, he just hasn't got the legs. Yeah, I'm, I'm inclined to agree with you boys. It's purely for the, um, purely for the fitness factor. Although, if they can keep him fit, well, what a sign. Well, that's a different story. What if they can keep him fit. And, and when, you, when you touch on Jack Wilshere, I get the comparison and I get the, the similarities between the players. But I think that Adam Lallana has achieved more than Jack Grealish. Definitely. Yeah, uh, agree. Last one before we go through some rumoured. Uh, Hakim Ziyech, Ajax to Chelsea. £33 million. And what I'm describing as a bargain. Yeah, what a player. What a player. For me... His passing is on a par with Kevin De Bruyne. That, that's a statement I'm, I'm making. Well, I wouldn't go that far. Um, what I will say is I think Ziyech is a, a good player. I would put him in the early Hazard bracket mould of player. I think Hazard, by the time he left Chelsea, was a world-class player. When he arrived at Chelsea, was a potential world-class player. And I put uh, Ziyech in that category. I think if he continues his rise and his trajectory of to where he could go, I think he could be an inspired signing. And do you know what? In today's market where football clubs are earning hundreds of millions of pounds, I think thirty-three million is a fair price for both Ajax and Chelsea. He's an upgrade on Willian. Absolutely. Would you want a thirty-two year old Willian that's been at the club for nearly a decade? Or do you want a new fresh hot property in European football in Zia? I was gonna say I think you said he's he's not he's at a hazard level when he first came. I, th- I, think, I think he's above that. Yeah, but he's performed so well for Ajax. I think he's already levels above what Hazard was. But you say that, that you say that. But so did De Jong. De Jong performed exceptionally well. And do you know what? Why? Let's chuck another one in there. So did De Ligt. He performed well for Ajax as well in that same team. The, the it's, it's the team they go to and the league they go to. Is, um, players face when they leave the Ajax system. Although Ziyech was actually signed from Grolig and he didn't come through the system there. But there's such a, a defined way of playing at Ajax and a structure and a system that they have to play with and everything else 
that when they go to other clubs, it does take a little bit of adjustment. I think we'll see the best of Frankie de Jong this season. I think we'll see the best of Mateus de Litt this season. And uh, Hakim Ziyech, I believe we're going to see a very, very, very strong season from him this year. So for me, he is a hit. And I presume he is for you boys too. Yes, I, I completely agree. I'm going to put my neck out there and say he could be one of the signings of the summer and that pains me as a Tottenham fan. I really wish we'd assigned him. So some rumoured transfers then, very quickly. And what are our thoughts on this? Everton, rumoured to be uh, agreeing a deal for James Rodriguez from Real Madrid and Alan from Napoli. Uh, the deal for Alan for Napoli would be a really good bit of business. Um, it's someone who Carlo Ancelotti will know very, very well from his time at Napoli. I think he's yeah. a very, very strong powerhouse midfielder. And I think, um, you know, Morgan Schneiderlin or Alan, there's only one there for me, and that's Alan. I think um, that'll Schneiderlin's be actually deal. joined Lille. Well, there you go. Or Nice, one of the two. He's gone. He's gone, and rightly so. And I think Ange- Ancelotti's obviously wielding the axe there. And the other player you mentioned is James Rodriguez. Um, that deal, according to my personal sources, does seem to be pretty far down the road. He is looking now to become an Everton player. I think that's a real pick I think that's a 50-50. James Rodriguez hasn't looked the same since World Cup 2014, in my opinion. I think the move to Real Madrid has been a complete and utter failure. And then furthermore, I think his loans to Bayern Munich were, were pretty much the same. I don't think he performed well at the Allianz in front of the Bavarian fans. And I think um, he'll go there. And I think he'll show glimpses of quality, flashes, and the odd great goal here and there. But I just don't think... He'll do well. But let's just rewind a little bit as well. Carlaccio Ancelotti. Ancelotti seems to be the main man here and the instigator of this deal. He was actually at Real Madrid when they brought James Rodriguez in the first place, if you remember. And I think there may be a bit of history there. So I wouldn't initially write this guy off. When you look at the grand scheme of things, take a step away, uh, take a step away and, and look at the the full picture of the James Rodriguez to Everton move. I think it's a miss. I agree. If they can get Alan from uh, Napoli, which I believe is pretty much done, that's a great signing. That's a really good signing. Uh, just what they need. They've they've tried their luck with many centre midfielders over over the time. None of them really working out. I think that could be the one. Uh, Ancelotti can get the best out of him. I think that's the one. Rodriguez for me, fifty fifty, like you say. Moving on, one you have a vested interest in, Thiago Alcantara, Bayern Munich to Liverpool. Yeah, I think. Um... Look, there's a willingness, according to um, sources from the Liverpool Echo, those close to the club, there's a willingness from the club. Uh, Jurgen Klopp is a real admirer of the player, come out and stated that he is one of the best players in the Bundesliga. I'd be inclined to agree with him. Sources in Germany are also saying as well that, that Liverpool do seem to be the front runners for the signing of Thiago Alcantara. One of the main sticking points is the fee. The initial uh, contractual negotiations with the player seem to be quite quite smooth as a matter of fact even so much as to the point where Thiago is looking for a house in the Merseyside area what I will also say is that 29 million uh, as quoted in some areas does seem to not fit the mould of the Liverpool way you know to buy a player of 29 years of age um, in the final year of his contract as well for 29 million doesn't fit the Liverpool mould however personally speaking as a fan you've got a World Cup winner with Spain you, you've got a UEFA, current UEFA Champions League winner with Bayern Munich and a genuine world-class player available for £29 million that wants to join your club. As far as I'm concerned, it's a no-brainer. I think you've got to make that deal happen. Now, one of the sources that, that I'm hearing on, on, on Twitter and in other various media outlets is saying that there's another facet to this deal. 
Now, this facet is a player already at the club who we briefly touched on earlier is Jorginho Wijnaldum. Ronald Koeman has just taken over as manager of Barcelona. He wants to mould and shape his own Barcelona team for the next couple of seasons going forward. One of those players that's highly on his radar is his fellow Dutch national, Jorginho Wijnaldum. Jorginho Wijnaldum, like Thiago Alicantra, is nearly touching 30. He's been at Liverpool for a few seasons now and hit the highs that most professional footballers that, that, you know, would love to hit. What I will say is he is also in his final year of his contract, playing in the same sort of position in the midfield. Don't be surprised to see Jorginho Wijnaldum move to Barcelona for a substantial transfer fee of around 22 to 27 million and then Liverpool pay the difference for Thiago Alicantra. And I think that deal... And that way around will work best for all parties. If Wijnaldum doesn't leave, uh, who does Thiago replace in your midfield? And that's the golden question, isn't it? I mean, as far as I'm concerned, Naby Keita, as we you know, touched on earlier, has come into the party. But you also have to remember that Liverpool can raise a quick £50 million. Pre-lockdown and pre-pandemic, figures coming out of the club for Marco Gruich, they were looking at around £25 million because he's had a fantastic time in Berlin in Germany. Due to the pandemic, you, you've got to be looking at 15 million now for him. Same with Harry Wilson, with uh, Lee sniffing around, uh, Rangers also sniffing around Harry Wilson. You could argue that that's another 15 million. Do you think that's fair for Harry Wilson, 15 million pounds? Um, before coronavirus, yeah. Again, after that, I, I, like you've just said, it, it has devalued players. I think it's more of the seven to eight million region, but at the moment Leeds seem to be paying. There's no way what Liverpool people are asking. There's no way Liverpool are letting Harry Wilson go for seven or eight million pounds. Um, I think that's another fifteen million, which would take my my calculations up to thirty million. And then I think Divock Origi uh, commands at least twenty million. I think if he plays week in week out for a, a Newcastle, a West Brom, or you know even a Leeds, believe yeah. it or not, or even a Wolves, if he plays week in week out for one of those clubs, could establish shelves uh, establish you know, establish himself to get to around 15 to 20 goals a season. That brings you to 50 million. I think there's legs in this Thiago Alicantra deal. And I think this deal does actually go ahead if Man City don't decide to sweep in. Yeah, for me, it's it's a no-brainer, like you say. If, if, if you're Liverpool, if you're serious about not just stagnating on where you are now, I think you've got to push on to the next level. And I think he's a player that could give you that. Next one for me is not really a hit or miss. It's 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 actually a question to you boys. Callum Wilson available probably for a region of about twenty twenty five million pounds. The question I'm asking is who needs him most? The clubs think of him: Newcastle, West Ham, and Aston Villa. Who needs Callum Wilson most? None of those three. I think Tottenham Hotspur need him. Okay, Dan. I'd say a team struggling at the bottom of the Premiership could do with his ten goals that he'd probably get a season. I think if Callum Wilson stays injury-free, let's remember that his form when he was injury-free at Bournemouth actually earned him a call to the England national team and also was highly linked to a move to Manchester United when before they signed Dick Harlow. I think he would go to Newcastle. I think a massive fan base. I think a massive, yeah. massive club. And he could become a cult hero there, which could then act as maybe a final springboard to a bigger club. But I think if I'm Tottenham Hotspur and I'm Jose Mourinho, I'm thinking Harry Kane misses 10 games a season. Bring in Harry Wilson, you've actually then got a... Callum. You, you bring in um, Callum Wilson, I think you then bring in a proven striker, a Premier League level. But if you're Callum Wilson, would you rather play 90 minutes a week or sit on the bench hoping that Harry Kane gets injured? 
exactly bear in mind this is a guy who's probably got personal ambitions of getting into the euro squad top english goal scorer in the premier league i think not last season but the, but the season before you know this is this is a the real deal this is a, this is a, a top premier league striker in my opinion so for me i think aston villa need him the most i think he could be a real a real hit on in 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 the midlands i'll agree with that i'll agree i'll agree with that james but do you think that um if you're callum wilson would you sign for newcastle or aston villa if it was a, if it was a straight choice yeah you you would go for newcastle but who really wants who really needs him the most i think aston villa i think they could if they really wanted to get that deal done i think they could Samata has done nothing for me. Such a shame. When Liverpool played Club Bruges away in the Champions League, he was their captain, scored against Liverpool, looked absolutely fantastic, but that move has, has clearly not worked out at all at Aston Villa. So they need a centre-forward for me, Aston Villa, and, and they need it yesterday. Yeah. And the final one, which which I'm going to bring in now, is probably one of the most talked about transfers in world football history. Various rumblings going on. I think if this happens, it will be arguably the biggest transfer in world football history. And that's Lionel Messi to Manchester City. What are we saying on that one, boys? If they can get him, I'd love to see him in the Premier League. I still think he's one of, if not the best player in the world. And just to be able to get to see him in the Premier League for me would be would be amazing. Is he in decline, Dan? I, I don't think so. I think the players around him aren't as good as what they were. I think he's carried, yeah, he has carried Barcelona now for the last few seasons. I, I, I still think he, well, yeah, he, he's brilliant. As far as I'm concerned, with the deal of potentially Lionel Messi come to the, you know, coming to the Premier League, there's only really three clubs that could probably bring him in: can it Chelsea, Manchester City, and of course Manchester United. I don't think he's going to Chelsea because of the money and the actual project that Frank Lampard's got going on. Can it youth? In the signing of Timo Werner, I can't see them bringing in Messi. Um, Manchester United, I think the days of being completely desperate are gone. I think they're now looking towards youth as well. I think the only club that he really is going to go to would probably be Manchester City. Now, let's just take a look at this from a different angle. You say that Lionel Messi... Um, is only you know as good as the players around him. You could argue you're right. I could probably play up front for Manchester City for 38 games a season and get three or four goals. But the reality is, <laughs> I don't think, I don't think that Lionel Messi is as good as what he was two or three years ago. Now I, I don't. I think he's on Why? decline. I think he will score goals in the Premier League. He is not going to go there and get 44, 45 goals and have a free reign like he is in La Liga. I think it's naive to say it and I think the Premier League is a much tougher league than La Liga. Look at La Liga in general. Real Madrid, Barcelona, Atletico Madrid, second bracket, Valencia. You're looking at um, Real Sociedad. Sevilla. Sevilla. You're looking at these sort of teams. Now, as far as I'm concerned, I think Lionel Messi is one of the greatest players to ever lace a pair of football boots and I'm, I'll, I'll stand with you all on that. I don't think he goes to Manchester City and sets the world alight. Just look at Rubinho. Just look at Rubinho. He did it in fits and starts and then ended up back, in, you know, back at Santos on loan on a golf course. But as far as I'm concerned, I think um, Manchester City, if you're looking at a club that, that, that needs a player, I think his relationship with Guardiola would be really important. But how long is Guardiola going to hang around there for? I, you know, I don't think he's going to be there for too many seasons more. I think Messi doesn't leave Barcelona this summer. I don't think the club cave into his stance. You've got to understand that he's an asset to Barcelona. 
and is worth a hell of a lot of money. You know, you could argue for all he's done for that football club, they could do the gracious thing and allow him to leave on the free transfer. But do you know what? Football isn't about sentiment anymore. It isn't about loyalty anymore. And, and I don't think I'll be the only one listening to this that football's now a business. Yeah. And does it make economical business sense to let Lionel Messi leave on a free transfer this summer? I don't think it does. No, I think I think if I'm Manchester City, I'll be thinking to myself, right, okay, this is what we're going to do. You've brought in um, Texerio Bigstan, um, who was at Barcelona in the Guardioli years as the director of football. You've brought in uh, Soriano, another one at Barcelona, who was another um, higher coach above Guardiola. So they've brought those two people in. They've got Guardiola, Guardiola himself. It works to bring Lionel Messi to the football club. It does work. With personnel alone, it works. Money, it works. Prestige in the game over the past decade, it works. For free? I don't think so. And I think you need to be looking and saying, right, we'll offer you X amount, maybe 100 million for Lionel Messi plus Bernardo Silva and one of their main players in the team. And I think that would potentially tempt Barcelona in to make a deal because if I'm in charge of Barcelona, I'm not letting this guy go for anything less than 100 million paid in full on that, on that line. So I've just got a, a few things to say on that. I mean, you're saying Messi's uh, player in decline, yet you'd be willing to swap Bernardo Silva, fantastic player, and you, you said somebody else as well. Why would you swap two really good players? Why would you swap really uh, two really good players for somebody who's supposedly in decline? And my next bit is, money aside, are you saying that you wouldn't have him for Liverpool? I didn't say I wouldn't have him. Rewind the tape. I, I didn't say, say I wouldn't yeah, have you're him. You're saying he's, he's a player in decline. Why would you want a player in decline? That's just madness. Because football's about levels. You talk about decline. A decline of Lionel Messi still puts you above the top bracket of Bernardo Silva, doesn't it? Yeah. So... Arguments well, done. yeah, because <laughs> Bernardo Silva can still <laughs> Bernardo Silva can still go up. What I'm saying is, Bernardo you're Silver saying isn't going to hit there's any a, there's level. Player, you're saying there's a player in decline, and you're basically rubbishing that he's going to do any good in the Premier League yet consistently. Uh, consistently, then you're you're now saying that you would take him as a well, you'd be stupid not to take him as a Liverpool manager. I, I, I don't get why. He's not good enough, or he's not going to be consistent enough for Man City, but he would be for Liverpool. I, I don't get that. I think he's, he's way too good. Let me break it down into simple, pragmatical sense for you. Lionel Messi, on a scale, at his height, is 10 out of 10. At the moment, he's performing at around 7.5 to 8 out of 10 on the Lionel Messi scale. Bernardo Silva scale, at peak, 10 out of 10 for Bernardo Silva would only be around 6 out of 10 on the Lionel Messi scale. So I'm saying that Messi's dropped from 10 to 7.5, but Bernardo Silva's 10 out of 10 is only 6 out of 10 on Messi's scale. Do you see what I'm saying? I see what you're I'm saying, but you're concentrating too much Silva's on a good that player. argument. I just think you're being incredibly naive to state that Lionel Messi's at the peak of his powers, because he's not. I'm not saying he is, but I'm well, you still have. saying... You've just what? turned around. No, no, no. You've just turned around on the podcast and, and, and turned around and told me that I've stated that... I wouldn't sign Messi because he's in decline. I think he is in decline, but Messi's decline is still at the top level of normal mortal players. So why are you saying that he's not going to be good enough for Man City then? You're just contradicting yourself now, aren't you? I, I really don't get where your argument is. Well, look, my, my opinion on, on the Messi transfer is, I mean, I, mean, I don't think it's going to happen. I think it's a smokescreen. I don't know what he wants. He obviously, he's obviously upset. 
This is the greatest player in world football history. Anyway, a reinvigorated Lionel Messi, a new challenge, back with Guardiola, the Premier League. He'll never be able to do it in there. He's never been in challenge himself. Ronaldo, two years ago, goes to the event, sets, sets records, highest scoring uh, goal scorer in Juventus since Alessandro Del Piero. Messi goes to Man City. It's his time to shine now in a different league. He's finally gone to the Premier League the big time. A reinvigorated Messi, a new challenge, new purpose. I think if he comes to the Premier League, I think he, set, I think he sets the place on fire. I don't. I think Man City win the league. I think they win the Champions League. I think they win the FA Cup. I think they, I think they even possibly win the quadruple. Absolutely. Lionel Messi at Manchester City is box office. Yeah. In terms of the Lionel Messi debate, I think, look, I don't think he's the player he once was, but I think he'll do well at Manchester City. I totally agree with you on that one. That's, that's it from the, uh, from the transfer hit or miss from me. Brilliant. Fantastic. What we do want to say is thank you very much, for, uh, ladies and gentlemen, for listening to the TTM podcast. It's going to be all from Daniel Harrison. Thank you very much for appearing on the TTM podcast this evening. And um, we very much hope to bring you back again in the future. Yeah, thanks for having me. I'll definitely win that title off of James next time I come, if he's still got it. Fantastic. And anything else from James Hansel? Thanks, as always, for your fantastic insights, wonderful research in setting up this podcast. And anything to ask or add from yourself this evening? No, thanks, Dan. Thanks thanks for coming on tonight. I wish Leeds all the best next season. What remains to be seen is you'll be proved wrong about, particularly about Tottenham squad debtors when they go uh, on all fronts do well this season. And ladies and gentlemen, that is all from the TTM podcast. Now, just remember, we're available on all major platforms for podcasting and also all major platforms on social media. Just search TTM pods. Thank you very much. And we are out. Sports Social Podcast Network. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.